Uh, Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to Genesis 31, page 25 in the Blue Pew Bible. Genesis 31, we'll read the opening uh, verses through verse 21. Genesis 31, this is God's word. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paddan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. 
And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. So as this chapter opens, Jacob is still there with Laban, but very eager to not be there anymore. He's eager to go back to Canaan. He's been eager to do that for some time. Been working for Laban all those years, uh, worked for him for 14 years. Then Laban talked him into staying even longer. And it wasn't because he loved Jacob and his daughters and grandchildren so much. It's mainly self-interest that motivated Laban to keep Jacob there because his flocks were being blessed because of Jacob, and he knew that. He was prospering. He was getting rich because of Jacob. He didn't want that to stop. So he wanted to keep him at all costs. And last Sunday, we saw that Jacob agreed, made an agreement with Laban to stay. Jacob offered to take only the uh, much less desirable livestock, the sheep and goats, speckled, spotted, black sheep. And based on how the animals usually produced, Uh, This looked like a bad deal for Jacob, and it looked like a better deal for Laban. And so Laban figured, I'm going to get all the best animals, and I'm going to get a lot more of the animals than Jacob. And so he said, of course. He jumped at the offer. And then he took further steps, uh, sneaky, uh, untrusting steps, are really underhanded dealings toward Jacob to make sure that this deal worked in his favor. But still, God was with Jacob. So everything that Laban did, despite all his efforts to work against Jacob and to uh, help his prosperity to only increase, God turned it all around. And he continued to prosper Jacob. Now we see a little different picture of Jacob here as chapter 31 opens. Years have passed since that agreement was made, six more years, and Jacob is now uh, a a whole different uh, person. He's very wealthy. He's prospered. Again, God prospered him. That's not the only change, though, we see in Jacob. The Lord's been working on Jacob. We've said, and we've often said, that God brings trials and he brings very hard circumstances into the lives of his people to change them, to sanctify us, to develop godly character in us, and to teach us, uh, maybe more than anything, to teach us to rely on him, to teach us to trust in him. And we see God doing that Uh, in this story here in Genesis. 
We see him working that way in Jacob and in these other biblical characters. And in these people and in many of the other characters in Scripture, we often see them uh, needing to grow in these ways. Instead of looking to God in faith, they're relying on themselves. They're coming up with schemes. Jacob is just a prime example of that. Coming up with... uh, different uh, uh, means to try to make things go his own way. Abraham and Isaac did this as well. You remember them, for example, passing off their wives as sisters because they felt like they needed to take that crazy step to try to protect themselves instead of looking to God and relying on him for protection. Jacob, years earlier, put on that disguise and dressed himself up like Esau because he felt he had to trick his father to get his blessing instead of just trusting God to deliver that blessing to him according to his promise. God had promised the older will serve the younger. Jacob felt he had to make it happen himself. Then Rachel We see it in Rachel, too. Rachel wanted children so bad. And instead of waiting on the Lord in faith through those hard times and years of barrenness, she decided, I've got to try to make this happen. I've got to have those mandrakes. And I've got to rent my husband out to my sister for the night. Of course, mandrakes, you remember, were thought to be something like a fertility drug in that day. And then again, Jacob. We saw Jacob with those sticks, striped sticks that he put before the sheep, trying to manipulate their offspring, trying to, uh, in that superstitious way, getting those animals to look at these striped sticks, thinking that that would cause them to produce striped offspring and spotted offspring. These are efforts at self-reliance. We see that attitude of self-reliance in these people, and we see it in ourselves. This is just our natural way, right? We tend to rely on our wits, our wiles, the things we can do to make things happen for ourselves. But God will do things in our lives to teach us to rely on him. We see that happening here with Jacob, really with all these biblical characters, but uh, in in a a wonderful way with Jacob. He brings these trials. He brings troubles into his life. God brings these things uh, to Jacob's life. And we see now that he's begun to learn from those things. He's finally learning to trust in the Lord instead of trusting in himself and his own wits and his schemes. And he's recognizing, too, that it's the Lord who has been blessing him. All the blessings that he has, he's finally acknowledging they come from the Lord. Let's look at our passage here. In verses 1 and Uh, One through three, we see that uh, it was now time to go, time to go home. And uh, 
It seems that Jacob had worn out his welcome. Laban was jealous. Laban was very upset, very unhappy that Jacob was now rich. All Laban's plots and plans have been foiled by the Lord. Instead of him prospering, Jacob prospered. And now, by comparison to Jacob, Laban was relatively poor. And so he had a bad attitude toward Jacob, and so did his sons. They said, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. Jacob knew that he was not appreciated. Uh, It was an ugly situation. So when God told him to leave, he was ready. The Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and your kindred, and I will be with you. Now, Jacob had earlier expressed a desire to go back home. He wanted to be there. He wanted to get back home to his family and to his homeland, to the promised land. That's where he belonged. He also wanted to be reconciled to Esau. He probably uh, had been bothered all these years uh, with uh, his guilty conscience over how he treated his brother. So all these things, together with the antagonism and the, 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 the bad attitude of Laban and his sons toward Jacob, well, that made the idea of heading back home sound pretty good. He was ready to go. But notice that he didn't go until he heard God's call to go. And that shows us something important. We need God's word as well. We need God's word to guide us in our lives. I'm not talking about hearing God speak to you in your ear or in your heart or in a dream or vision. I'm talking about God's inspired word in Scripture. We have all God's word to guide us. God calls us to have our hearts and minds captive to his word. He wants his word to fill our thoughts. He wants uh, us not to just react to our circumstances, whatever they may be, based on our feelings or whatever the case may be. Don't just make decisions based on what seems best uh, to you in the moment. But be in the habit of learning God's word, the principles of it that guide us. Make diligent study of God's word daily. Be a student of the word. Read it, study it, so that your mind will be conformed to God's mind. That's where he's made it known to us in the written word of the scriptures. That's the main way we get God's guidance. We get it by learning the Bible, having our minds conformed to God's mind as he's revealed it in the scriptures. We also need to see this attitude of Laban and his sons as, as part of the process of 
guiding Jacob to make his decision. This is part of God's unfolding providence in this situation. The last six years had been pretty good for Jacob. He's gone from having more or less nothing to now having more or less everything that Laban had. Things were good. Maybe he wasn't in such a big hurry to go back to Canaan anymore. He was comfortable now. He's doing very well. It must have been satisfying to see that he was doing so well and his rascal father-in-law was not doing well. So maybe in that comfortable position, God had to give him a little nudge like this to get him to depart and go back home. And that nudge came in the form of Laban and his sons turning against Jacob. Sometimes the Lord does things like this. Sometimes he needs to give us a nudge or a push in one form or another. Sometimes he needs to make us uh, uncomfortable in a situation so that we'll get moving in a different direction. Sometimes he doesn't want you to move anywhere, but rather just to draw closer to him. He certainly wants that. That's why we need God's word to guide us. We need the principles of God's word to um, fill our hearts and direct us in the way that we should go. We need wisdom, and that wisdom comes from God in his word. God very well might have wanted Jacob to stay there and persevere under that time of trial and difficulty. We could certainly say that's biblical to do that as well, persevering under trial rather than just giving up and trying to escape from it. Well, thankfully, in this situation, God gave clear direction to Jacob by giving him that special revelation, calling him to leave and go back home. In verses 4 to 16 here, Jacob has this talk with his wives. And this is further confirmation of the direction that Jacob needs to go. We see God's providence in this conversation, and God's providence is, is a part of the discussion, a big part of this discussion that he has with his wives. He starts by reviewing all Laban's um, nasty, unfair dealings with him, how he's cheated him, changed his wages over and over again. And then he says, your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. And he points out that in the past, Laban was thankful for him. Again, that was because of how prosperous he was becoming uh, because of Jacob. But those days are over. He says, your father Laban has turned against me. And in the next few verses, Jacob shows how God has been with him, nonetheless. And this is beautiful to see these things that he says. He recognizes, Jacob recognizes that, that God's been in control 
this whole time. God has been blessing him despite all of Laban's unfair, uh, uh, underhanded dealings with him. He understands that God has been fighting for him. God has been blessing him and working for his good, even though Laban meant so much evil for him. And he's telling his wives these things. He's teaching his wives these things. It's so good to see Jacob thinking this way, thinking rightly and acknowledging God. In verse 9, he says, God has taken away the livestock of your father and has given them to me. He doesn't take credit for that. He doesn't point to his schemes of the striped sticks or anything else. He just says, God has done this. And he's right. It was all the blessing of God. And God even told him so in that dream. God took all the credit for multiplying the speckled and spotted sheep He deserves all the glory for this. And that's something that we need to remember when we experience good things in life. We need to give thanks to God and give glory to God. He is the source of every good gift. Don't fail to acknowledge Him and thank Him. Notice also that the dream... Here, um, in this dream, God reminded Jacob of his vow, of Jacob's vow. Jacob made a vow at Bethel. And God said to him, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Jacob might have forgotten that vow, but God had not. You remember... Jacob asked the Lord to provide for him. It was a pretty, um, pretty meager prayer request, asking the Lord to provide food, clothing, protection. Pretty basic. God has gone far beyond that. He has blessed Jacob's socks off, and he was just getting started. But he also made that vow that the Lord would be his God and he would follow him. Well, it's been 20 years since that vow now. And the Lord reminds him of it here. He says, essentially, Jacob, you said you would follow me. And now it's time to do it. And I want you to go back to your family. Return to the land of your kindred. So notice there what God does. God, first of all, reminds Jacob of God's faithfulness to him. He's very clear in reminding him, I have been faithful to you, Jacob. Then he calls Jacob to be faithful to him. We need to be faithful to the Lord as well. God is so good and faithful to us And he calls us to be faithful to him. And this is basically what Jacob tells his wives here. He says, listen, I have to be faithful to the Lord. I have to keep the vow 
that I made to him. He realizes he's bound to keep this vow. And so he says, we've got to go. We've got to do what he tells us to do. We need to get ready to leave. Jacob realizes that he is bound to follow the Lord, to listen to the Lord, to obey the Lord. This is good for us to think about. We need to remember that being Christians, being God's children, isn't just about being forgiven or being blessed. It's also something that comes with responsibilities. With those blessings of forgiveness and eternal life and God's presence, we have every spiritual blessing, but along with those blessings come responsibilities. We have to follow the Lord. We have to follow Him according to His Word. We have to listen to His Word. Seek to know His will in His Word and to obey it faithfully. Let's take that to heart. Jacob was very serious about it here as he stresses it to his wives. And he wants to obey quickly. He wants to leave without delay. And we see the response of his wives here. It turns out that they're in full agreement with him. They've been troubled by their father's behavior too. Rachel and Leah both agree. They said, basically, our fathers used you to get rich. And now God has given those riches to us. It serves him right. We're with you, Jacob. Do whatever God has told you. We see God's hand on Jacob here as well, even in this talk with his wives. You know, that could have gone a very different way. Could have been very hard for them to leave their homeland, their family. But God, in his providence, has changed their hearts. And we see their departure then, beginning in verse 17. While Laban was busy shearing sheep, Jacob packed up his family and livestock, and they all left quickly and secretly. But one thing that we see here is that Jacob has grown spiritually. He doesn't steal anything. It's emphasized very clearly that he only took what was rightfully his. Rachel, though, is another story. She stole her father's household gods, idols. You wonder, why did she do this? Household idols in that day were used for uh, idolatrous worship, of course. People also used them superstitiously to try to learn the future. They thought they could know the future through these things. And some had other superstitious ideas that they would improve fertility. We really don't know what her motives were for taking them, but that was the kind of home that she grew up in. Idolatrous, superstitious. Whatever her reasons for taking them, it was wrong. 
She was stealing these things, and it shows us that something's wrong with her heart. Jacob's trying to do right, trying to obey the Lord, trying to live with integrity, but Rachel doesn't have that same integrity. She's sinning willfully here. And stealing these idols is, is uh, almost certainly a sign that she has some affinity toward those false gods. She's not fully committed and trusting in the Lord alone. It looks like she's wanting to cover all her bases. And that's really what it was like for the people of Israel and idolatry. It's not that they completely forsook the Lord, but they said, we can follow the Lord and we'll worship the Lord, but it can't hurt to worship these false gods as well. We'll cover all the bases, right? Well, wrong. That was wrong, according to the Lord. The Lord requires all idols to be forsaken. The Lord and the Lord alone is to be worshipped. He is a jealous God, and he will allow no rivals. He will not share his glory with another. And it's no coincidence that Moses includes this kind of little odd detail uh, in this story about these idols as he writes the book of Genesis. He's writing the book of Genesis for the people of Israel who are just coming out of the land of Egypt. And these things were written for their instruction. They were written for them to learn from. And this story was written. This little detail about the idols was written for them and for us. But Israel would struggle with this issue of worshiping idols all throughout her history. That's what would get them sent into exile. That's what would bring God's judgment upon them over and over again. They even brought idols with them up out of Egypt. There really never was a time where they were uh, free from idols. And once they got into the promised land, they were going to be tempted by the false gods of the Canaanites and their surrounding neighbors. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. It is turning to and trusting in something other than the true God, some created thing instead of the glorious almighty creator, the only true God. So this is a a warning, this story. It's a warning for the people of Israel. Moses is warning, saying, look, idols even caused this trouble back in the days of your forefathers, the patriarchs. Don't give in to that temptation to worship idols. Rid yourselves of idols. Worship the Lord only. Again, it wasn't just the ancient people that worshiped idols. It's all people. We do too in our day. We don't have this kind of idol in our Western homes, at least. Uh, Other parts of the world, they still do have this kind of 
idolatry, but idolatry of the heart is a problem for every person. We come into the world with hearts that are just manufacturing one idol after the next for us to worship. What have you ever observed that in your own life? Think back to your childhood. There was probably something you were bowing down to and worshiping then. And in your teenage years, it changed to something else. College years, adulthood. Idolatry is uh, a terrible problem of every person's heart. It affects people of every age. We worship things. We worship material things. We worship possessions. We worship our houses, cars, people. Any created thing that we worship other than the Creator, that's idolatry. And when we do that, even as Christians, we're really doing exactly what Rachel did, trying to follow the Lord and cover all the bases. We're thinking we can have our idols and have the Lord too. But God is not pleased with this. And he calls us to stop it. And he calls us to repent and to worship him and him alone. We have to detach from those things of this world, whatever they may be. They cannot have that central place of worship in our hearts. We can use the things of this world and give thanks to God for his good gifts, but we need to keep them in their rightful place. You cannot love them like God. You may not trust in them. You cannot put your hope in things. If you do that, you'll be disappointed, greatly disappointed. It will only bring you grief and trouble. God calls us to love and serve Him alone. He calls you and I to live by faith in Him and Him alone. He calls us to live faithfully in obedience to Him only. And we have to acknowledge that He alone is the source of every blessing that we have. He ought to be everything to us. The idols of this world are nothing. The Lord is real. And so is his great love for us. So keep your faith firmly in him and in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would Enable us to turn from all our idols and enable us to be faithful to you. We want to glorify you, to give thanks to you and honor you and you alone. You are the God who uh, is supremely faithful and gracious and loving toward us. So change us, Lord, and make us your faithful followers. Form us by your word. Help us to carry out with joy our 
um, good and blessed duties to you and to your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.